Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Community Church. Uh, for those of you uh, who don't know me, my name is Kurt McDonald, I'm the lead pastor here, uh, and I'm really, really excited this morning to get to lead you through um, th- this text that we're going to be looking at. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2 or pull it up on your smartphone so you can follow along with us as we walk through this text. Do you guys remember a long, long time ago when people used to spend hours in the kitchen preparing a meal? Maybe it was your mom, maybe it was your grandmother, and then everybody, the, the family would gather around the table, they, they would put everything on hold, and, and they, would, they would just sit at the table and, and just spend time together and, and eat a meal together. You, you guys remember when that used to happen? Or, or how about when people used to sit on the front porch and, and drink lemonade or iced tea? Just, just sit there. It's like people used to do that, really. They, they would just sit there. Or what about when people used to have a lazy Saturday? Just, just wake up late, put on your favorite pair of old blue jeans and, a, and a, your old T-shirt, just hang around the house. Not much to do, just hanging around. Gone, gone, gone are those days. We're too busy to do that stuff anymore. We're too busy to take a long time cooking a meal and sitting around the table. we got to go through the drive-thru and, and toss hamburgers in the back seat to our kids so we can get where we're going. We don't have time to sit around on the front porch and drink iced tea and lemonade. We don't have time to just sit around on a Saturday. We're too busy. We've got way too much stuff going on to, to be able to, to do something like that. Today... Um, busyness is in the very fabric of our culture. It's who we are. Busyness is worn as a badge of honor. Just ask somebody, hey man, how you doing? Busy, right? I'm busy. I've got this going on. I've got this. I'm working 80 hours a week. I've got to take the kids everywhere like I'm some kind of taxi cab. And I've got all these projects in the house that just haven't been completed yet. I'm busy. And the other person will respond, oh yeah, well I've been working 120 hours a week and I've got way more projects than you do and I got seven kids, I got a potty train and the house is falling apart and I got to do all that stuff by tomorrow. I'm busier than you. It's, it, it, it's just getting itself um, deep down into the culture that busyness is a badge of honor. You're busy, I'm busy, everybody's busy. We have all kinds of stuff to do. There are holidays, there are birthdays, anniversaries, Memorial Day, Labor Day, and every other holiday. We have to spend time with our family, extended family. And don't forget about your friends. you got to spend time with your friends. you got to make sure that you catch up on all of your favorite TV shows because, heaven forbid, you go to work and not know what's happening in the latest episode of whatever it is that show that you're watching. you got to take the kids to soccer practice, ballet, art class, karate class, underwater basket weaving, and piano recital. Don't forget about yourself either. What about all the things that you like to do, like fishing and crafting and biking and gardening and exercise and all the other types of play that you're involved in? And if you're not too busy, don't forget about the projects around the house. Cut the grass, fix the leak, clean the gutters and shampoo the carpets and the day-to-day tasks like going to work, taking out the trash, doing the laundry, doing the dishes, right? Right now, how many of you are just getting nervous about how busy and how much stuff that you have to do when you leave here today? You're just freaked out. Everybody's freaked out because we're so busy and we got so much to do. So, 
when we come to a text like this one, it sounds insane. It sounds crazy to us. I mean, just look at day by day together attending the temple. When did these people in this text have time to do all the other stuff they had to get done? I mean, obviously, this is a bunch of first century peasants. They didn't have the stuff to do that we have to do today. They didn't have to go to this place and go there and get this task done. You know, they just probably sat around and did nothing. So when it says day by day attending the temple and spending time together and devoting their lives to the church and all that stuff, I mean, of course they could do it. They're not as busy as we are, right? So reading a text and looking, like, looking at a text like this today is absolutely insane to a people like us, to, to a culture like us. It sounds crazy what I'm going to talk about today. It, it's going to sound insane um, what I'm going to ask you to do today. What, what I'm going to say, this is what the Bible says and this is what our lives should look like to our world and our culture. It, it, it's going to be pure insanity that this type of lifestyle even exists. Okay? So, <laughs> here's what I want to say. Involvement in a local church is not one more thing you add to your already jam-packed list of things to do. Rather, it becomes the context in which your whole life is lived through. Acts chapter 7, Saul of Tarsus comes on the scene and, and we see him at the feet of um, of a man who is being stoned to death. His name is Stephen um, for preaching the gospel. And, and we're introduced to this guy named Saul. And then in Acts chapter 9, what Saul does is he goes around basically finding Christians, um, throwing in them in jail or killing them. He, he's persecuting the church. He, he begins to target Christians and he wants to put an end to this little Christian uprising. And so he seeks to kill God's People And what is so interesting, if you know the story, Jesus shows up to this guy named Saul on the road to Damascus, and he appears in this bright, shining light. It's so interesting what he says. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church or my people? He says, why are you persecuting me? Now, why did he do that? Because Jesus was identifying himself with us as his people. Therefore, if Jesus views us in him as his people, it's how we should view ourselves as God's people. Amen? That's who we are. This is what it means to be a Christian, that we are God's people, God's family, God's Church. So, what I'm saying uh, here sounds incredibly radical uh, for Christians today, but for the Christians in Acts chapter 2, this type of living that we're going to see today was normative for them. Was normative. So, so when we talk about radical Christianity, we talk about somebody giving their whole life to see the church grow, to see the gospel expand, and, and, and to see people's lives change. Giving your whole life to something like that, that's radical. Here, here, it's normative. Being a Christian meant giving your whole life away to Jesus through giving your life away to the local church. That's what it meant. When you got saved, that, that's just what it meant. 
before they were called Christians, this movement was actually called the way. Why did they call it that? Because it was a way that they lived. It was their lives. It, it was the heart beating in their chest saying, I've got to be involved with the local church, with a group of people, living life together so the gospel goes out and people's lives are transformed. That, that's what they did. So we say this here often. If you're a believer, it's not that you have only been saved from something, but it is that you have been saved to something. To be sure, we are saved from something. If you're a Christian, you've been saved from the, the power of sin over your life. Through Jesus Christ, him sending his Holy Spirit to empower us, we can be set free from the bonds of sin. We, we are saved from sin. We're saved from an eternal death separated from him. And we're saved from Satan himself. We are saved from sin, death, and Satan. That's what we're saved from. But we're also saved to something. Christians are saved to something. What are Christians saved to? Well, they're saved to a life striving for holiness together with a church family on mission. We're saved to a life of holiness, meaning we're trying to be more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world. We're striving to be God's holy people, and we're saved to a church family. This is why Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. We're saved to a church family, and that church family together is then going out on mission to preach the gospel and um, to see people saved. That's what we're saved to. That's what we're saved to. So this is week seven of our study uh, through the book of Acts. Um, a, a quick snapshot of what we've seen. We saw a group of people um, who witnessed the ascension of Jesus himself into the heavens uh, to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Then we saw a people waiting and waiting, and then the Holy Spirit came, ushering in the new age of grace, the new age of the Spirit. Then Peter stands to preach. And so what we've done the last two weeks is we, we took that sermon in two parts, and we looked at apostolic preaching, and we looked at what that meant. Okay, so now we're going to see the result of, okay, I want you to follow with the narrative of the text. We're going to see the result of the age of the Spirit coming in and the result of apostolic preaching. We're going to get a snapshot of the first church, the, the first New Testament church. So the question becomes, what, what did they do and what did their lives look like? Because that is a snapshot of what we should be doing and what our lives should look like. Does that make sense? You guys follow me? Okay. So, let's take a look at verses 37 through 41. Now, when they heard this, when they heard what? When they heard Peter's sermon. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the prom this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord has called to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 
souls. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What was happening? What was happening was that the spirit and the word, God's word, was working together. The, the spirit had come. Peter had stood and preached, and those two things worked together to bring about a result. What was the result? That these men were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart and asked this amazing question, what must we do? Brothers, what, what, what can we do here? And, and, and listen, here's what they're saying. What they're saying is, I'm in need of something. When, when they ask the question, what must we do? They've realized a need and are looking to meet that need. What, what must we do? Meaning, what do I need? What do I need to do to fix this problem? Here's the thing. They realized in their heart, okay, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that the scales were taken off of their eyes and they saw something about themselves. What did they see about themselves? That they needed to be forgiven. That's what they saw. That, that's, what, that's what the product of the word, the spirit working together was. They saw they needed to be forgiven. Now, I would submit to you that at some point in every single human being's life, they come to that same conclusion. I need to be forgiven. I, I would submit to you that even the atheist, at some point in his life, if he's honest with himself, will say at some point in his life, he has said, I need to be forgiven. Every human everywhere acknowledges that nobody's perfect, that we're sinners, and we need to be forgiven. Now, how we answer the question of how do we get forgiveness becomes the determining point of your soul. So sometimes we answer it this way, I need to be forgiven. Well, you know what, really, my mistake here is justified. Therefore, I actually don't need forgiveness. That's what happens in so many of our hearts. We say, I've messed up, I've done something wrong, I need forgiveness. Well, you know what, actually, and then in our minds we begin to justify what we've done and therefore nullify actually needing the forgiveness. Yeah, I, I know I slept with him, but you know what, I was feeling vulnerable and, and I think we're gonna get married anyway. You know, I, I know I yelled at you, but you provoked me. Justification. Therefore, I don't need forgiveness. Or we say, I need to be forgiven, and, and I know this is a real issue, and so I'm going to do everything I can so that God will forgive me. I'm going to read my Bible 37 times a day. I'm going to help little old ladies across the street, and I'm going to be at church every Sunday, and I'm going to sing praise songs until I puke just so God will forgive me. And that doesn't work, and we still end up with that feeling deep within our heart that we know we've done wrong. We know we've messed up, and something's got to change. Something has to happen. And that's the question these guys are asking in this text. Brothers, what must we do? And here's Peter's response. Repent and be baptized. Let's look at repentance, okay? When he says repent, he doesn't mean merely feeling bad for what they've done. How do I know that? Because they already feel bad. It says they were cut to the heart. So repentance isn't just feeling bad because if they said, Peter, what must we do to be saved? He would go, you're already doing it. You feel bad, so you're, you're, you and God are good now because you feel bad for what you've done. That's not the fullness of repentance. 
I want to read to you. It's not going to come on the screen. Acts 26, uh, verse 18. Uh, Jesus is commissioning Paul to the Gentiles. I just want you to hear what it says here. Jesus says to Paul, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to the light. So when we say repentance, what is true repentance? What is Peter instructing them to do here in this text? He's instructing them to turn from darkness and turn to light. So repentance is turning away from sin and turning toward God. Repentance isn't just stopping doing the bad thing, but it's also turning towards God and seeing that he is the ultimate fulfillment for your soul. So, so it's not just, I'm not going to look at pornography, I'm not going to look at pornography, I'm not going to look at pornography. It's, yes, not looking at pornography, but then turning towards Jesus and seeing him as the fulfillment in your soul. Does that make sense? You guys with me this morning? Okay. So he tells them to repent. Okay. In addition, he says, and be baptized. Now. I want to clear something up, but I don't want to take forever to do it. Now, here is some people's argument. Look back at the text, verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and, okay, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness. So some groups, some people will say, in order to be forgiven of your sin and be accepted by God, yes, repent, meaning you're turning from your way of sinful living and turning towards God, and you have to be baptized. So um, repentance and baptism equals salvation. Okay, That's what some people will say. And just from a quick read of this text, some might come to that conclusion. Let me quickly explain to you why that is absolutely untrue. I'm going to walk through several verses in Acts. I'm just going to read them, and I want you to note the total absence of baptism in the rest of these verses. Acts 2, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not calls upon the name of the Lord and is baptized. Verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Acts 13, 38 through 39. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man's forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything that which not be freed by the law of Moses. Acts 16, 31, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and your household. Okay, so what is Peter saying here if he's not meaning you need to um, be baptized in order to be saved. Well, a better understanding would be <laughs> repent and then show the sign of your repentance through getting baptized. Okay, does that make sense? That, that, that's what he's saying here. Just as um, when, when someone wears a wedding ring, it's not the wedding ring itself that makes them wed. Um, it's merely a symbol that they're married. If they take their wedding ring off, are they still married? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. In addition, think about the thief next to Jesus on the cross. What does he say to him? Today you will be with me in paradise if you come down on the cross and get baptized. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He says today you'll be with me in paradise. Okay, so I hope that clears that up. Um, let's move on because I don't want you to miss the main point here. 
What are we seeing? What, what is the snapshot, the very first snapshot that we see in the New Testament church? And what should we be seeing and experiencing today? The first thing is we, the New Testament church, should be seeing and experiencing conversions and repentance. Conversions. Seeing people saved. At the end of every service, we say, hey, if you're here today and you're not a believer, we're inviting you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the greatest thing. It's the best thing you can ever do in your whole life. Come to know Jesus. We're inviting you into a relationship with Jesus. Why do we do that? Because we're hoping to see people being converted and the result, they repent. They say, I don't want to live this life anymore. I'm tired of it. I'm sick and tired of the way things have been going in my life. I know I'm missing something. There's an aching, a longing within my soul, and I believe Jesus is that answer, and they come to faith in him. That's what we want to see. That's what they see here in this text. So I don't want you to miss the main point here, that murderers of the Son of God can be forgiven and receive the gift of the Spirit. Who is in the crowd here? Not just people who witnessed the execution of Jesus, but people who participated in it. They participated in it. Some, some people whom Peter is preaching to here were the ones going, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And they participated in the very act of killing the Son of God. And what Peter says here, here's what you need to do. Repent and, and you can be saved. And then show that sign by getting baptized and you'll receive the Spirit. So I submit to you this morning, have you done something worse than killing God himself? Then you too can be forgiven. You can be forgiven of what you did last week, what you did last month, what you did last year. If you are willing to repent and say, Jesus I repent of my sin. I'm turning from that sin and towards you. Jesus is the God. We worship the God who stands with open arms, waiting and wanting his children to come to him. And his heart yearns for you to return back to him. He's not the God waiting to zap you with the bolt of lightning. He's the God whose heart yearns for his children. He loves his children. And he's saying, come back to me. Don't you see that the way that I've laid out for you to live is best for you? Come home. I'm, I long for you. That's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. So it says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. What's amazing about this is Peter is saying, this promise is for you. You can be forgiven. It's for your children. If your children believe in Jesus, they can be forgiven too. And all who are far off. Who is that? That's people who are not Jewish. Okay, I am not Jewish. This promise right here is for me. That means I can be forgiven. This promise here is for you. This means you can be forgiven. And it says with many other words, okay, biblical proof that sermons should be long, with many other words, he said, save yourselves from this crooked generation. They were the crooked generation. Well, well, they didn't have rated R movies. And they didn't have rock and roll music. How could they be the crooked generation? Well, they were the crooked generation because they were developing other ways of salvation other than Jesus. So our generation is just as crooked as theirs. So it says, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized 
and were added that day about 3,000 souls. What's so amazing about this is these 3,000 people's lives get radically changed. That They get radically changed. Here's a quote from John Stott. Here's what he has to say. God does not add people to the church without saving them, nor does he save them without adding them to the church. Salvation and church membership belong together. There was conversion. After conversion, there was repentance. Once they were repentant, there was a transformation in their very lives. What they did day to day, who they were as people was changed by their conversions. You have to understand, these 3,000 people didn't just sign a card. They didn't just come down front. They didn't just raise their hand when the pastor said, hey, anybody want to get saved today? They did that, maybe, and more. There was something beyond that. And I think this is a tragedy in the church in the South is that we've given so many people a false assurance of their salvation. Now, we began with the good thing. We want to simplify it and say, all you need to do is believe. All you need to do is believe. The problem is we didn't take the next step and say, and once you believe, your entire life will be transformed. You'll you'll seek after holiness, wanting to be more and more like Jesus. You'll seek after a life with God's people. You'll seek after a life on mission, seeing the gospel go out. We left that part out and just said, hey, if you want to mark the card and come down front, we'd love to, to be able to tell all kinds of people how many people at our church got saved. And this is the great tragedy. The 3,000 souls that were saved and baptized that day were likely disowned by their families. These really religious Jewish people wouldn't accept this new Messiah. Therefore, their family members that began to follow this Messiah, they likely disowned them. These 3,000 souls that got saved radically changed everything about their lives. Their whole life had been in this mode of observing Jewish law, of observing Jewish holidays, of observing all these religious customs. And now the Sabbath day, which they had worshipped on for thousands of years, was thrown out the window. And now all these guys are worshipping on Sunday. I mean, everything changed for them. Everything changed for these people. How did they do this? Well, the Spirit provided them power, and the Spirit gave them guts to reject the cultural norm. So again, what I'm, what I'm asking you to do today is crazy. <laughs> what I'm asking you to do today is to swim upstream you know, against the onslaught of the culture that tells you, be busy, be busy, be busy with all that life has to offer. And I'm saying, devote your whole life to Jesus by giving your life away to the local church. How can we do that? Well, the promise there was that they would be forgiven and receive the gift of the Spirit, which is the empowerment to live a life devoted to others in the local church. So, Let's take a look at verse 42 and 40, uh, through 47 and see this radical, radical group of people. And they've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, uh, distributing the proceeds to all who had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What did we see in the New Testament church? Well, we saw conversions and repentance. And here at the very beginning of this text, what we see in the New Testament church, what we see happening is a people together, okay, that key word there, a people together listening to God's word. Peter preaches, that wasn't the only one. There was more sermons to come. God's people in the New Testament gather together to hear God's word. It, it just, that was the natural overflow. What are we going to do next? Well, I hope, I hope there's more preaching. I hope we get to hear more of God's word. I, I hope that we can gather together as a family and learn more about who God is. That's what they did. That's what their heart's cry was. We, we want to know God more. We want to know him deeply. And we're going we're gonna to get together. We're going to link arms with each other. And we're going to open up our Bibles. And we're going to read it. And we're going to discuss it and talk about it. We're, we're gonna, we want a guy up front who's going to read God's word and explain it to us. And then, then we're going to get together in homes. And we're going to open up God's word again. And we're going we're gonna to talk about it. Why? Because our heart yearns to know God through his word. That was these people. That's what they wanted. That's what they were after. Therefore, that's what we should be after, is to gather together as God's people to hear, to hear his word. What else did we see in the text? Look back at it. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Okay, here's what's amazing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do not ever, not even once, use this word fellowship. They don't use it. It's not there. The Spirit comes. Peter stands and preaches. The church is born. Fellowship. That, that word shows up in our New Testament. Now, here's what we have to understand about it because it's defined for us. Verses 44. 44 and 45 make it clear. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them. Okay? So they were giving to all who had need. Now, they didn't turn into communists, okay? They still had possessions. How do I know they had possessions? Well, it said that they were going from house to house, meaning they had houses, okay? So it's not that they sold everything that they had and essentially turned into some type of communist utopian community, but they sold what they had when people were in need. They gave their possessions away. They gave their time away. They gave their talents away. They gave their treasure away to the people in their church. They just said, you know what? I love these people. These people are my family, and whatever I have is theirs, and, and we're, we're just, if they got a need, I'm gonna figure out how to meet it because I love them, and, and they're part of my family now. What does that mean for us? It means that fellowship means sacrifice. Fellowship isn't potluck dinners in the church hall. Fellowship isn't only having a coffee every now and then. 
Fellowship isn't only having somebody to your house for dinner. It's so much more than that. True fellowship, true fellowship, what we see here in the New Testament church, means sacrifice. It means the giving of yourself to other people for their good. That's what was happening in the New Testament church. Therefore, that's what should be happening with us. Fellowship costs something. Selling their possessions. It's not just a sentimental feeling. It's not just potluck dinners in the church hall. It comes through giving. And it brings you amazing and deep joy. Did you see that in the text? And with glad and generous hearts. What did that produce? What what did this produce giving their whole lives away to, to other people? Well, it produced glad and generous hearts. Some of you come in here this morning and you have a joyless life. You have a joyless life. Might I submit to you, it's because you're not giving your life away to other people. You're not giving your life away in service to those in the local church. Fellowship costs something. And in return, it brings to our hearts great, deep joy. You see, the people in this text were ecstatic about their new life in Jesus. They they were pumped up about their new life in Jesus. We're saved now. Yeah, maybe our family's going to disown us. And and, and yeah, we're kind of divorcing ourselves from all that we knew. But man, we're just so excited and ecstatic about this new life in Christ. I mean, it really meant something to them. Let me ask you, Christian, are you ecstatic about your life in Christ? I mean, does it, does it really, like, man, does it wake you up in the morning? Is it, is, it, is it the heart beating beneath your chest? Just, I'm excited to be a Christian. I just like it. I like having brothers and sisters in Christ. I like giving my time to them. I like spending time with people in the church. I like it when we get together and and we share the gospel with lost people. I just like doing that. I like giving away what I have to see people in my church grow. And and Is that you? Is that you? I mean, the truth is, is that Jesus came to restore ultimately what was destroyed and broken in the fall. You remember what happened in the garden? They had this great relationship. Adam and Eve did, right? You remember that? The the end of Genesis chapter 2 says that they were naked and unashamed. They had this, this great bond, this great experience of community and family and togetherness. And then what happens? Sin happens, and what do they immediately do? They cover themselves. They They cover themselves and they hide. Community was distorted and broken. And when Jesus comes um, as the greater Adam, as the representative uh, of, of all humanity, he restores what is broken. And so through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can come together as a family, as a church, and have real, true relationship with each other that means something, not not hollow and shallow relationships where it's how you doing this morning brother oh i'm doing great this morning brother all right see you next week we can have real relationships that that have substance and mean something this is god's design and god's hope for his church what does that practically mean for us here are a couple thoughts that i jotted down because again i I want fellowship and community to be just in the very fabric of this church okay So here are a couple of thoughts, a couple of practical things that this means for us. 
God's people intentionally prioritize community. God's people should intentionally prioritize community. Again, when we say community, we're not talking about the, the community out um, in the streets, the, the neighborhood or community. What we're talking about is the community of believers. We're talking about the church family. So what that means is we must intentionally prioritize it. Meaning, when you leave here today, you, you have to say to somebody, hey, would you like to go to coffee? You have to be intentional. It doesn't just happen. If you're just waiting for community to happen to you, it probably won't. And some of you feel like you're on the outside, and it's because you haven't been intentional. Well, nobody ever asked me to the cookout. Nobody ever asked me to coffee. Nobody invited me over to their house. Nobody. You have to be intentional. You have to walk up to somebody and say, hey, what are you doing Saturday? You, you want to come to my house? I, I'm going to cook something. And, and make it good, right? Make it enticing for them to come. You have to be intentional and, and make community a priority in your life. This is what God's word says, that we should be in fellowship with each other. So I'm going to invite somebody over, and we're going to talk about stuff and life and kids and work. And I'm going to share my life with them. But if you're not intentional about it, it will not happen. And you can't complain that you're on the outside when you're not inviting people into your world. Another thought, what does this practically mean for us? It means that God's people will accept social and cultural differences within the community. It means that we will accept each other, we'll accept cultural and social differences, okay? Listen, in my mind, the culture that I was raised in, here is what defines a dude. You need a pocket knife and a pickup truck. That's how I was raised, okay? And if you don't have a pocket knife and a pickup truck, you're pretty much not a real dude, right? You, you are a step below. Now, that's the culture that I was raised in. That, that's my thinking. That's why I have a pocket knife and a pickup truck. But what God's family does, what God's church does, is we say, you know what? <laughs> just because the dude doesn't have a pocket knife and a pickup truck doesn't mean he's not a real man, Right? We, we, just, we just accept those things as differences. You like country. He likes rap. That's okay. You are a vegetarian. Okay, we'll still love you. <laughs> we accept social and cultural differences. And, and, and listen, we actually welcome them. We, by, by spending time with people who are different than you, you're opened up to all kinds of new worlds. And, and it's awesome listening to new music, eating new food, hearing new ideas. This is what makes God's family so beautiful. If we were all the same, it would be terribly boring. In addition, practically, what does fellowship mean for God's church and God's family? It means that God's people are long-suffering with those we don't automatically click with. It means that we are quick to repent and quick to forgive. It means there are going to be people in this church that you just don't click with and you don't like. I don't like some of you. I love you. But it means that we are long-suffering with people that we don't click with. It means that we're long-suffering and that, that we're quick to repent. Hey, man, I, I probably said something that offended you, and, and I'm sorry. I, that wasn't my heart. I, di I didn't mean to offend you. We're quick to repent, 
and we're quick to, to forgive. You're right, man. We're, we're God's family. We're God's church together. I forgive you. I love you. Man, let's, let's go have coffee or let's go do something together, you know? We've got to be long-suffering with people that we don't automatically click with. Don't just shut them out. Be long-suffering with them. I know I don't really see the world the way that you see it. I don't really connect with the things that you connect with, but, but I'm, I'm just going to try to step in your shoes. I'm just going to try to get in your world and understand you better. That has to be our heart, to be long-suffering with people and, and quick to repent and quick to forgive. What's so amazing is that I often see this happening at Gospel Community Church. I often see it happening. I, I am so encouraged as your pastor to see the fellowship and the community that has been fostered here at this church. It is the mark of a healthy church. So listen, at the end of this, um, we're, we're gonna dismiss, and here's what's gonna happen. Nobody's gonna leave right away. It doesn't, I mean, some people do, most don't. What, what happens here at this church? People mill around like forever. <laughs> they just hang out, the kids are running around, people are just standing around talking and engaging each other. That's fellowship, that's community. That To me, I'm going, this is a sign and a mark of a healthy church, right? When, when the people who are trying to shut down the building go, hey, we're cutting the lights out, right? You don't gotta go home, but you can't stay here. You know, get out. The fact that we have to do that makes me happy. I'm, I'm really excited that we have to tell people to get out of the church, right? Go home and spend time with each other. Don't spend time with each other here. Go do something somewhere else. That's awesome, and, and that's a sign and a mark um, of of a healthy church. In addition to fellowshipping together, they worshiped, they worshiped together. They worshiped together. Did you see that in the text? And so there, there was the breaking of bread and prayers. And then down at the bottom again, uh, in verse 46, it says breaking bread in their homes. What were they doing? What is this breaking bread? What is it, what is it that they're talking about? It said they were breaking bread and receiving food. So it's something separate than receiving food. It means they were taking communion together. We do this here every week. We take communion together because um, this is the picture that we see in the New Testament church. They would take that piece of bread and they would remind each other. They would remind each other, hey, this is, this is a, a representation or a picture of Christ's body that was broken for you, right? He, he broke his body to, to forgive you so that, so that you could enter into his family, and, and they would take that bread and they would dip it in the wine and they would say, hey, this wine is a representation of Christ's blood that was shed for you so that you could be saved from something and that blood was shed so that you could be saved to a local church. You're a part of the family now. And that's what Jesus died for. That's what they would do. They were worshiping and extolling God. It said they were breaking bread and the prayers. That, that breaking bread and prayers is they would gather together as a community and as a family to worship together. It's what they were doing. And lastly, they evangelized together. Look back at the end of it. And day by day, attending the temple. Attending the temple. Okay, also, look at 47. Um, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, what were they doing attending the temple? In the temple is where they would do the sacrifices. But these New Testament believers believed that Jesus was the only and greatest sacrifice. What are they doing in the temple? 
Well, they're probably going together, and as they're bringing the lamb in, together they're standing saying, hey guys, you guys, you're about to sacrifice this lamb. Let me tell you about the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, and his name is Jesus. They were doing that together as a people, that they weren't just an inclusive little family club. Don't hear me saying that today. I am saying you should devote your life to the people in this room, and that that should have an outward trajectory as well. It's not us for no more close the door, but we want to welcome people into this community, into this family. We want to welcome lost people, which means we have to share the gospel with them. That's what they were doing here. How did they find favor with all these people? Because the community that was being built as the New Testament church was incredibly attractive to them. Their human hearts longed for a community of people who would welcome them with open arms, who would pour their lives out for each other. Don't you want to be a part of something like that? Don't you want to be a part of a group of people who just love each other and who are just long-suffering with each other and who just share stuff with each other? Don't, don't you want to be a part of that? Well, they were actually doing it, and the onlooking world is going, who are these people? These people are crazy. And I want to be a part of it. And so they would share the gospel with people, but they would do it together. Here's a great application point for that. When you are talking or sharing the gospel with the lost person, take somebody with you. Take somebody from the church with you. Team up on them if you have to. If anything, you know, maybe it's a coworker you're trying to share Christ with and maybe a church member can't really go to work with you because you know, your boss would probably get mad. Here's what you could do. You can still evangelize together. We can still evangelize together as a family by just asking for prayer. Just saying, hey, I'm sharing the gospel with this guy who sits next to me in the cubicle. His name is whatever. Can, can you just pray for Mr. Whatever? Could you just pray for him because I'm... I'm Man, I'm, I'm really just giving it all I got here trying to share the gospel with this guy, right? So, so they, they didn't evangelize um, as Lone Ranger Christians. They, they teamed up. Evangelism was a team sport to these guys. And so it should be for us. We should be a family, a community on mission, okay? So here is um, the, the flow of this whole text. I, I want you to see it. This is the whole thing. The teaching of God's word in the context of community, leads to worship and therefore evangelism. Okay, let me read that again. The teaching of God's word, that's the first thing we saw, the teaching of God's word, in the context of community or fellowship, what, what did that lead to? Well, they worshiped. They heard about God. They were together as God's family. And, and what was the next step for them? We gotta worship this God. He's awesome. Look what he's done for us. Look what he's invited us into. We want to praise him. And so they broke bread and they prayed. They, they worshiped God. And then the outflow of that excitement was, we got to tell somebody. We got to tell more people. That, that's what happened next. So the teaching of God's word, fellowship, worship, evangelism. That's, that's the flow of this text. And it should be the flow of the life of Gospel Community Church. It should begin with Sunday morning services to where we're preaching God's word. Um, it, it should go to homes to where we're having fellowship together. What do we do in our community groups? Somebody's going to break out a guitar and we're going to sing to Jesus in the context of those community groups. And then those community groups then should move out to share the gospel with the lost and dying world, primarily starting here in Fayette County. 
Amen? That's the mission. That's what we're called to do. Okay? Here's what I want you to see. Everything in this text worked together to produce a product that could only be attributed to God. Everything worked together to produce a product. What was the product? A group of people hearing God's word, loving each other, worshiping, and going out on mission. That was the product that could only be attributed to God, and therefore, they were in awe. Did you see that word? I want to go back and look at it. You thought I forgot about it. Go back and look at it. And they devoted themselves to the teaching, the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Verse 43, and Awe came upon every soul. What does that word awe mean? Well, it means um, fear. It actually means fear. Now, not um, the way we think about it, not terror, but a sense of respect, meaning God was doing something in their midst, and they respected that. God was doing something in their midst, and it really meant something to them. They didn't just see it as another Sunday morning service. They saw it as a part of the puzzle that God was putting together to, to weave an amazing tapestry of souls and lives being changed. They didn't just see it as attending another community group. They didn't just see it as going to somebody's house for dinner, but they saw it as all of the moving parts God was working and orchestrating to see people's lives changed, to see people saved, and it meant something to them. I want to ask you this morning, does Sunday morning services mean something to you or are they mundane and run-of-the-mill? Does your community group really mean something to you or is it just another Thursday night? Does, does dinner with another member in this church, does it mean something to you? Does it have value to you or is it just a, a steak and potatoes if it's meaningless to you, I submit to you that you are missing it. You're missing it, that these are the tools and the pieces that God is weaving together and using to see people come to know him, to, to see lives change. This is what God wants to use, his local church. They were in awe. They respected it. The other night, we, we had dinner with Ben and Cindy Thacker. And, and what she said to me really encouraged me. She looked at me and she said, you know what? God is doing something at Gospel Community Church. And that was so encouraging to me. God's doing something here. And he's doing it. He's doing it through fellowship. He's doing it through preaching. He's doing it through community groups. He's doing it through DNA groups. And he's doing it through us going out on mission. Are you a part of that? couple application points and then I'm going to get out of your hair. Number one, give your life away to Jesus by sacrificially serving the people in this local church. Give your whole life away to it. Now again, where am I going to find time for that? We're all too busy. And again, I want to submit to you that Involvement in the local church is not something that you add to your already jam-packed and busy schedule, but life in the local church is the context in which the whole rest of your life moves out from. Give your whole life away to this. Give your whole life away. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm calling you to do. I'm giving my whole life away to this church. I'm giving my whole life away to the people in this room. And listen, 
I know that in that, in that great sacrifice, I'm gonna find my greatest joy. And that's why I'm so jealous to get you guys to do the same thing because I want your joy. I want you to live a joyful life and I know, I know that only comes through totally giving it all away and living a sacrificial life for other people, specifically the people in this room. Number two, give your life away to build something that is eternal. <laughs> you're gonna give your life away to something. You're gonna give it away to your job. You're gonna give it away to your career, your success. You're gonna give it away to your house. You're gonna give it away to your garden. You're gonna give it away to your hobby. You're gonna give your life away to something. And listen, when, when the trumpet sounds, when the clouds are rolled back, all that stuff will be burned away and it will be nothing. But listen, together as God's people, we will be eternal with him in his kingdom, standing side by side, hand in hand, singing to King Jesus forever. So, so don't you see that giving your life away to this is, is building into something that won't ever perish. You can be successful, you can have the best job, you can have the best looking wife, you can have obedient kids, and, and listen, all that stuff's gonna go away. And what will be left standing in the new heaven and the new earth is God's people. Thirdly, sign up for the new members class. Hey, what a great ending to this sermon. If you're not a member here and, and you're like, man, I'm with you. I'm ready to give my whole life away to this thing. The first step is be a member here. We, we got membership class tonight. We will make room for you. We have food. We have child care. Come to my house. We're going to walk through what we believe. We're going to give you an opportunity to ask questions. You can get started in this type of community living and fellowship today. You can do it today. So sign up for the membership class. Sign up's right in the back. Number four, rest in the Spirit's power to make all of this happen. Man, how... How am I going to swim upstream? How am I going to get all the stuff done that I got, that I got to get done? How, how am I going to just totally divorce myself from the culture who says, you got to be busy, you got to be busy, you got to be busy. And, and how can I really give my whole life away to the people in this church? <laughs> Through the Spirit's power. <laughs> Through the Spirit. I'm, listen, I'm not strong enough to pour my whole life out for this church. I, I don't have it in me. I don't have enough gas in my tank. But you know how I can do it? I can do it through the power of the Spirit, asking him to come, asking him to push me forward. This is what God wants for us, to be a people hearing his word, to be a people fellowshipping together, to be a worshiping community, and then taking that joy and going out and spreading the gospel to this county, to this state, to this country, to this whole world. That's what God wants for you. Let me pray for us. Father, what an amazing snapshot of the local church here in this text. What an amazing picture that you've given us. What an amazing upshot to, to raise our eyes and look up and see what, what the New Testament church was doing. To look across the landscape of churches in the South specifically and see the great lack of these things taking place. Father, that Gospel Community Church might be a place where these things occur, to where the teaching of God's word happens, to where the fellowship happens, to where worship happens, to where evangelism happens. We, we want it, God. We're begging you to see this happen here at this church. Uh, Father, I pray for sacrificial people. I pray for 
people who will give their lives away and know and know that they're gonna find their deepest joy in giving their lives away. That what you've laid out, what your plan is for them is to live sacrificially as you came as the man Jesus Christ and live sacrificially. That's what you want for us, to pour our lives out for other people and I pray that um, you would send the mighty power of your Holy Spirit to empower us to do so. Um, God, that the outside world would look in on us and say, who are these crazy people who just love each other and serve each other? And that the people outside, that the lost and dying world would want so desperately to be a part of it and we would welcome them with open arms saying, repent and be baptized. That that would be our message. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.